the, uh, something we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been lighting different candles each week of Advent leading up to tonight. And you'll notice that tonight there's only one candle lit. And these candles that we lit before, they represented things like hope, right, where our hope comes from, what we have hope in. You know, love, joy, peace, those kinds of things, right? And so we'll be talking all the, the last, for the last few weeks about the things that we center our Advent around, how the fact that Advent is, is not just a noun, it's not just a thing, it's not just something that describes a season, it's not just a, a Christmas decoration that, that goes in your house, but really it's a verb, right? When we Advent for something, right, we are awaiting, we are longing for, we are searching for something to kind of fill that space in the center of our lives. And tonight, the thing I love about this Advent wreath, right, this symbol of Advent is there's only one candle lit, and that's the candle, right, that represents Jesus and his arrival. Because really, at the end of the day, our hope, our, our peace, our joy, our love, all of that, we find all of that, not in four separate flames, right, but in, in one flame, in one person, and that's Jesus. And that's who we get to celebrate tonight. Amen? Right on. Let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we love you. And tonight is the night that we get to celebrate your arrival. Uh, the time that you stepped into our mess. The time that you left heaven, right? You put skin on, right? God with skin on came to live with us. God with us. Emmanuel, like we've been singing, like we've been talking about all night tonight. God with us. Jesus, God who saves. And we're just so grateful that you stepped into this place to seek us out one at a time, one person at a time, one life at a time, one soul at a time, one story at a time. Each one of us, you sought us out. You loved us back to health, back to life. You set us free from our pasts, and you invite us into this life with you, a with God life, a new way to live. And tonight, that is what we celebrate. And Jesus, all we can say is thank you. And so we say thank you tonight. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being a part of our lives. Thanks for changing all the, the course of humanity, the course of human history. All gets changed because of you. And so, Jesus, we say thank you and we love you. And we celebrate you tonight. And we worship you. And everybody said. All right, so, so if you had on your bingo card how I was going to start tonight with a Shakespeare quote, you win, right? Shakespeare in, in Romeo and Juliet kind of asked this question, what's in a name? What's in a name? Like, what is a name? To Shakespeare, the names that were attached with things were kind of irrelevant, right? He says, you know, a rose by any other name still smells the same, right? So for him, the name, the name that gets attached to something really is, is kind of irrelevant. But what we know is when we hear certain kinds of names, certain kinds of names just fit with certain things. Certain kind of names just fit with certain kinds of people. For example, good quarterbacks have good quarterback names, right? Are there more quarterback-ish names than Joe Montana or Peyton Manning, right? Like, those are just quarterback-ish names. Like, you hear names like Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, maybe, right? Right? You hear names like that, and you realize, like, these guys, they've got no choice. They've got no choice. They're destined for greatness. You hear a name like Thomas C. Maypother the fourth. And you go, I don't know, I don't know if this, is a, if this is a name, you know, varsity wrestling, varsity soccer, he's in the varsity club, whatever that is, the key club, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but this dude's from Louisville, Trinity High School, St. X High School, I can't remember which one they went to. But Thomas C. Maypother IV, right, not a name that you would go, that's not a name destined for greatness. But when he changes his name to Tom Cruise, 
And some of you tonight just realized Tom Cruise is from Louisville. You're welcome, right? There's nobody else at that point who could possibly play the role of Pete Maverick Mitchell than Tom Cruise, right? Top Gun starring Tom Maypother, you're not seeing that. We're going to sit that one out, right? But Tom Cruise flying the fighter jet, now it's a must-see. And here's the thing. The crazier this dude gets in real life, the better his movies get. I don't know what it is about that, how those two things are related, but the crazier this guy gets in real life, the better his movies are. But here's the deal. When it comes to what's in a name, if I were to say these names, these following names, John Volenthin, Richard Stanton, Jason Mallinson, Chris Jewell, Richard Harris, and Craig Chalin, probably most of us Hearing those names, you wouldn't have any idea who I was talking about. I mean, those names could be anybody. They don't sound like legendary quarterback names. They don't sound like action hero names. But who are these guys? Who are these six names that I mentioned? These, these six men were the, were the lead rescue divers who saved the lives of a youth soccer team in Thailand just a few years ago in 2018. If you don't know the story, on June 23rd, 12 young soccer players and their 25-year-old coach became trapped two and a half miles deep inside of a cave system. And monsoon season was just beginning. And so while this soccer team was, was inside this cave, oblivious to the weather that's going on outside, this torrential rainfall had started, and it wasn't going to let up for days or weeks or even months, right? Because this heavy rainfall came down so fast, the cave flooded too quickly for the boys and their coach to get out, and they were trapped. They were stuck miles deep in a pitch black cave with the water level rising little by little every minute. And initially, all of the efforts to even locate this trapped soccer team failed. Why? Because the currents underwater, the currents in this underwater cave system, they were too strong, they were unpredictable. The water was so murky that, that even expert divers said that they couldn't see where they were going at all. They had no idea at the time if the boys were even alive because there was no way, there's no way of reaching them. And so after getting a call from a friend in Thailand to simply ask them for advice, to ask them to advise the rescue team to offer insight on a rescue operation, these British cave divers, John Volenthin and Richard Stanton, they, they recognized something. They recognized that there was an urgent need for search and rescue. But instead of just offering advice over the phone, they responded to this urgent need by putting a team of rescue divers together that they trusted and they knew, and they packed up their gear and they went to Thailand. So here's something I want us to take away. One of the ways, if you're new at Adventure, one of the ways we take notes is we just grab screenshots of, of the screens, right? So if you want to grab a picture of this, you could do this. Here's something I want us to, there's a theme that's going to develop tonight, right, develop tonight. Here's this. When a need for rescue gets recognized, the only way to really respond is to go where rescue is needed most. The truth and the fact is you cannot conduct a search and rescue mission from a safe distance. It can't be done. And these guys knew this. So when they recognized that there was a need for search and rescue, they realized, hey, we might actually be able to help. Instead of just giving advice over the phone, they packed up their stuff and they went to Thailand. They went to where the need was greatest. These six men, they literally and willingly dove into the same dangerous and uncertain situation that the boys and their coach were trapped in. And on July 2nd, 2018, 10 days after the boys and their coach were trapped, after a six hour dive through nearly impassable conditions and unpredictable currents and murky water, John and Richard, they found the boys, 
and they found their coach deep inside the cave. In fact, Richard said when he was interviewed that when they, they, they emerged in kind of a, uh, an open space in the cave that they hadn't known was there before, and it was pitch black. There was no light source. He said as soon as they came up above water and they took their, their respirators out and popped their goggles up, he said we could smell the kids before we actually saw them because they had been stuck inside this cave for, for almost two weeks. And so they found them. They found them. They located where they were, and they were still alive. But here's the deal. Finding them was just the beginning. The search part was over. What they recognized was this. They recognized an urgent need. They responded to the need by going to where the need was greatest. And now that the search part was over, the rescue effort was just getting started. The rescue effort, here's what it required. It required these men to literally dive and put themselves into harm's way in order to save lives. That's what it was going to take. Which how they did all that, like if you don't know this story, how they got these guys out, spoiler alert, right, What was pretty crazy. They made a movie about it. It's on Amazon. It's called 13 Lives. You can go watch it. Here's a spoiler, right? After they find these boys, they locate these boys in the cave, they formed a plan. They formed a plan to get them out. And here's what that plan required. From July 8th through July 10th, for nearly 48 straight hours, John, Richard, Jason, Chris, Richard, and Craig, and others, made the 11-hour round-trip dive. Six hours in, five hours out, over and over and over and over again until they rescued every single person that was trapped in that cave. And while when we think about epic names, legendary names, hero names, John, Richard, Jason, Chris, Craig, those aren't up there, right? But here's what they did. They recognized that there was an urgent need. They responded to that need by going to where the need was greatest, and knowing that, 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 knowing that what rescue meant, that it meant putting themselves in harm's way, the result was the rescue, the saving of 13 lives. So three things for us to remember right off the bat. Recognize, respond, and rescue. You recognize the need. You respond by going where the need is. And you rescue by putting yourself in harm's way. One of my friends, Jim Bergen, who's a pastor in Colorado, he said this, like, rescuers, right, rescuers have to put themselves in harm's way in order for rescue to really take place. Now, here's the deal. Most of us in this room are not highly trained rescue divers. But I'm guessing that there are some of us in the room who have been in these moments where we've recognized, we've recognized the need in somebody else's life. And we knew somewhere in our heart, our soul, our mind, we knew we could respond. Like we could respond to this need. We could try to help. But here's what responding means. Responding means we actually have to go to where the need is greatest. And usually, this is kind of where we talk ourselves out of responding. This is where we talk ourselves out of it. Like maybe I'm not cut out for this. This might get messy. This might take time. It's not convenient. doesn't fit in my schedule. Let's face it, and here's where we go, right? Let's face it. Somebody probably who's more qualified than I am is going to come along at some point, and they can really help. They'll do a better job of helping, of responding than I can. We recognize. Like, we're good at recognizing the need in the lives of other people, but we stop short of responding, and in the end, what happens is there's no rescue. When we stop at recognition 
and we don't press further into our response, we short-circuit rescue. And I'm sure there's others of us that in the room that we felt at different point in, points in our lives that, that like we're the ones trapped. We're the ones stuck in impossible situations. We didn't mean for it to happen. Like we didn't want this to happen. We didn't intend for this to happen. We didn't expect this to happen. This is not the way we thought our lives were going to go. But here we are. We're in a bad spot and it just seems like it's getting worse. When we start thinking, thinking about things like hope and joy and peace and love, like the light of those kinds of things start getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, right? The light of hope is getting dimmer. The light of joy is getting dimmer. The, the light of love is getting dimmer. The light of peace is getting dimmer. And anxiety, right, the water level of anxiety or stress or worry is rising really fast. And so here's what we do. We cross our fingers and we hope that somebody's going to rescue us. Somebody's going to recognize that there's a need in our lives. And that they'll move beyond recognition into a response and that maybe rescue will come. But let me ask this question. What if who recognizes our need and who responds by coming to us right where the need is greatest, the person that puts themselves in harm's way, what if they weren't who we were were expecting? What if it wasn't the kind of person you were expecting? And here's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks at Adventure. We've been unpacking this, this passage in this book in the Old Testament called Isaiah, right in the middle of the Bible. And just a real quick flyby, Isaiah happens about 700-ish years before Jesus is born. And Isaiah is a prophet. A prophet was someone who was given a message from God to deliver to people. And the people that that God is sending Isaiah to, the the message that is sent through Isaiah to the people, at this point in time, those people, here's who they were. They were people who were living in the constant fear that their entire world could fall apart at any minute. They were trapped. Kind of like those boys in that cave. It's not what they wanted. It's not what they intended. They didn't plan for this. They didn't want this to happen. It's not what they were hoping for. But at this point in Isaiah... An entire nation is surrounded on all sides by an army of people called the Assyrians that wanted to wipe them out. You start talking about lights and and things like that. The light of hope was fading fast. And the water level of worry, like worry that we're going to get wiped off the planet, that water level is rising fast. And like us... The people that Isaiah is speaking to, right, the people that God is sending this message through Isaiah to, they're hoping that somebody, anybody, will just see their need and respond by getting them out of this mess. And here's God's message to them. He says this in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has Shown What that tells us right away is God, he recognized the need. He recognized that there were people who were living in darkness. There were people who were trapped in complete and total darkness. And he says, on them has shown a light, right? He recognizes there's a need. Jump down to verse 6. Here's what he says. He says, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And what we read, what we know when we read that verse is that God's going to respond He's going to respond where the need is. Where is the need? Where we are. So how does God respond? God recognizes that there are people trapped in darkness. And he responds. How does he respond? By coming to where we are. 
For to us a child is born, a son is given. God's going to show up in such a way that he's going to step into the place where the need is greatest. Where's the need, where's the need greatest? Where you and I are in our humanity. But here's kind of where it gets weird. Because if you start thinking about your own story, or even if you start thinking about this group of people, right, the people who are surrounded on all sides by an army, is the one that you want showing up to rescue you from this place where you're trapped in darkness a baby boy? Like if you're you're trapped and all of a sudden it's like, don't worry, we're sending the toddler in. Wait, what? What? What, like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? How, how, is, how can that, how can that, God, we see, we, it's awesome that you recognize we're in trouble. It's awesome that you recognize our situation. And it's great that you want to respond by coming to where the need is greatest. But, but I'm not sure this is going to work out. I'm not sure this is what we were, this isn't what we were hoping for. But then Isaiah goes on. He keeps going with the message that God has for his people. And he says this. It's not just any baby boy. It says the government will be on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And he says this, that the zeal, the passion, the passion that God has for his people, that's what will do this. In other words, rescue is coming. God recognizes the need. He responds by saying, listen, I'm going to show up where the need is greatest, in your midst, among you, with skin on, like you. And rescue is coming. But it's not, it's not how they thought. And maybe for some of us, it's not how we think. It's not what we think we need. It's not what we think we want. Because here's what happens. When somebody typically reads the scripture, it's usually around Christmas, and we, we process these names and these titles and all this information that, that are given to describe Jesus through kind of our modern 2022 lens. And we answer this question, what, what's in a name? What's in a name? We, we answer that question with all of our kind of modern biases and all of our modern kind of stereotypes. We, we hear Jesus, the wonderful counselor, and what we think is that, that Jesus is a good therapist, he's a helper, he's a crisis manager, and he's available when he fits our schedule. When we hear wonderful counselor, that's where our brain goes. When we hear mighty God, maybe we picture like a comic book superhero, which really means this, it's fantasy land. I hate to break it to you, it's not real. It's just a made-up story, and when we hear mighty God, it's like, how, do, how is that? How is that going to make it? How is, how is a fantasy land made up story going to make a difference in my life? We hear everlasting father, and for some of us, we think of our own fathers who were anything but everlasting. I mean, the second things got difficult, what happened? They cut and run. I don't have an everlasting father, I have a father that bailed. When we hear Prince of Peace and we think privileged, someone who's privileged. Someone who can't relate to, to, to people like me or somebody like me who's just trying to eke out an existence. Someone who, who's living paycheck to paycheck. Someone who's trying to make sure the bills are paid and that food's on the table. Right? We, we, it's hard to imagine that. We hear Prince and it's the guy, well, somebody can't relate. That's, that's somebody soft. Born with a silver, silver spoon in their mouth. Right? And really, Prince of Peace, what, the, what does he want? He just wants everybody to get along and stop being mean to each other. How's that going to help? 
We feel trapped. We feel trapped in our current situations and circumstances. And when we come across these names of Jesus written in Isaiah, you hear, hear somebody like me talk about these names about Jesus. It's easy to look at the water level of anxiety or stress or worry or, 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 or just lack of health or, or, or conflict or tension, whatever it is, sickness. Like that water level is rising fast. And hope and love and joy and peace, all, the light of all those, that, that's, that's fading. It's getting darker. And here's what I don't, I don't need a good therapist. I don't need an imaginary comic book hero. I don't need another father figure that's going to be disappointed in me. I don't need some weak pacifist that just wants everybody to get the warm fuzzies. I need Indiana Jones. I need Optimus Prime. I mean, if we're going there, just like, I need, I need a truck that turns into a robot. I need Dwayne the Rock Johnson if you want to be like a real person kind of person, right? Those are the kinds of names those are the kinds of people that when I'm in trouble, I want them to respond by coming to where I am and then be the hero that rescues me. But for the people in this time, those, would have heard, those that would have heard God's message to them who, like us, felt trapped, felt surrounded by fear and anxiety and pain and frustration and anger and betrayal and uncertainty, they would have known that these names given to Jesus weren't just little titles to make us feel better. They were, and we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, they were actually throne names. And throne names back in this culture, they spoke to the qualities and the accomplishments of someone who was becoming king. As a king was ascending the throne to sit on the throne and rule, they would give them throne names to kind of describe who they were. And so for us, when we start to read these names about Jesus, we need to get this. They don't just tell us what Jesus does. They tell us who Jesus is. And while we've got our modern lens that we see things through, here's what these names really mean. Wonderful Counselor means this, Jesus, the supernatural secretary of defense, who we give total directional authority to in every area of our lives. Jesus is who we seek for wisdom, right? The word wisdom in the Old Testament, the word wisdom in the Bible literally means to be skilled at life, to be good at life, to live the way we were meant to live, right? We call it the with God life here at Adventure. We seek Jesus for the way to live, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, who offers us an abundant life, life maxed out. When they would have read Mighty God, when they would have heard Mighty God, they would have known this, they would have heard this, Jesus, who is a warrior and a champion that never loses, he always prevails. He's got authority over everything, and he has immeasurable strength. No one is stronger than Jesus. Nobody wins like Jesus does. Jesus doesn't lose. When they would have heard the word everlasting father, they would have known this, that Jesus is the perfection of our fathers, not the reflection of our fathers. That he's a provider and a protector that never leaves, that never runs away, that isn't afraid of our mess, that, that, that isn't afraid of the moments when we, when we may disappoint, that isn't afraid of the moments when we make mistakes, that isn't afraid of the moments when our lives blow up. He's not afraid of that. He doesn't run away from that. He runs into that. He always seeks the best for us. But the one that I want to talk about tonight is the last one, Prince of Peace. I want to live here for the next few minutes because this is the final throne name for Jesus. So I want to unpack this together. So for you and I, when we think about peace, 
Maybe in your life, if it's anything like mine with a 10-year-old and an almost 8-year-old, peace usually gets coupled together with quiet. It's serene, right? You imagine this place that's peace, it's peaceful and quiet. The kids, they're not yelling at each other. The, the dog isn't tearing something up or like ours did today, eat 10 Reese cups. That bill's going to be great, right? The bills get paid on time. The, the bank account is full-ish, right? There's, there's no tension in your marriage. Like peace, it's like those commercials that come on that show like these all-inclusive resort vacations on a beach where everybody's happy. Calories have zero effect on your figure, right? You can eat all you want, and it all just goes away. You wake up the morning skinnier than you did before you went to bed, right? The sunsets are perfect. That's what peace and that's what peace looks like. One author I read this past week said this, for us, the working definition of peace is this. It's, it's a condition of life where everything is as it should be. I mean, try to picture that. Try to picture life where everything is as it should be. When you start thinking about that definition, that, that, that feels pretty accurate. Peace it happens when there's no tension. There's no tension and there's no friction between ideal and real. It just is. Everything is ideal. What's real in my life is everything is ideal. Everything is as it should be. It all works out. But here's the deal. While that might be an accurate definition, on one hand, on the other hand, it feels equally impossible to achieve, right? Peace feels about as real as the commercial for the all-inclusive resort. And here's why. When it comes to peace, when it comes to life as it should be, we all have different, different definitions of should. The same author that I read said this, usually our definition of how life should be comes at the expense of someone else's definition. And so when we fight for our own versions of peace, usually what happens is this, no one gets it. Why? Because my peace looks and sounds like war to someone else. So what does peace really mean? If our definitions, especially when we start trying to create our own version of it, if our definitions fall short, then what does peace, when, when we attach it to Jesus, what does peace look like? The Hebrew word for peace that we read in Isaiah is the word shalom, and it literally means completeness or wholeness. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not serenity. It's not peace and quiet. It's not the all-inclusive resort with the sunsets. Peace is its completeness, its wholeness, even in the midst of conflict and trial. But get this. The kind of peace that gets associated with Jesus isn't something for you and I to work harder to attain or achieve or acquire. It's not, about, it's not about you and I coming up with the magic formula to find completeness in one thing or one person that might be missing from our lives. Like if we could just get our hands on this or if we could just put like the, the code of life together and if we only had that, then we would finally feel whole. Then we would finally be complete. It's not something for you and I to attain or achieve or acquire. Shalom, Jesus' peace, isn't about the absence of conflict or tension in our lives. It has nothing to do with the tension that exists between ideal and real. Jesus' peace is what exists in the tension between ideal and real. Shalom, Jesus' peace is this, it's an action. 
It's the act of participating in the restoration of something. Something that was broken. And it's not just about finding a missing piece or or putting something back together. It's also about the ongoing recovery moving forward. So here's what Jesus' peace is. Jesus' peace completes us, but it doesn't stop there. His peace completes us, but then continues to work at making us whole. I mean, like those rescue divers. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine that if those rescue divers, if finding the kids, right, in the cave, right, we said that's only the beginning, right? That was only the beginning. Finding them was only the beginning. Can you imagine that if they just stopped at finding them? Like, well, we found them. Guess what? They're in there. They're still alive. Let's pack it up and go home, fellas. Job done. Or or if they just stopped once they got them out of the cave. Like, yeah, we know you're sick and you're hungry and you're tired and you've been trapped two miles underground for weeks, but we got you out. You're welcome. Like I said earlier, here's what happened. They saw an urgent need. They responded where the need was greatest. They understood that rescue meant diving into harm's way, but after rescue came restoration and recovery. That's what Jesus' peace is. That's what Jesus' peace does. Jesus' peace recognizes our need, responds in our midst where the need is greatest, and he rescues us now, right in this moment. But he doesn't stop there. After rescue, Jesus continues. Jesus' peace continues into restoration and recovery, no matter how long it takes or how much it costs. Jesus even told a story, a story about a Samaritan, the enemy of a Jewish man, who came across this man who was beaten and left for dead in a ditch. In fact, if you look at the road where this guy was left for dead in the ditch, the story where this, this story took place, the road isn't even wide enough to pass by on the other side. The people that passed by, the, the preacher and the worship leader, right, they literally had to step over a guy who was beaten and left for dead. But then this Samaritan comes along. A guy who's supposed to hate him. A guy who's supposed to, who you would half expect to just kick him while he's down. But instead of doing that, what does he do? He recognizes a need. He responds where the need is greatest by picking this guy up, putting him on his horse, and taking him back down into town. He rescues him. But he doesn't stop at rescue. He pays the innkeeper. He says, listen, heal his wounds. Whatever he needs, I'll pay you back. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, make sure this guy is restored and make sure he recovers. That's a picture of Jesus' peace. So that's what peace looks like. That's what peace means. What about the prince part of this? Prince of peace. The word prince in Hebrew is the word sar. It's where we get sire or, or sir. It implies royalty and a position of command. But get this. The word prince is both a title and a duty. It's a name and an action. If you want to put it simple, it's this. A prince is both someone who is and someone who does. Parents in the room, you understand this. As parents, it's somebody that we are, but it's also what we do. That's what it means for Jesus to be a prince. It's someone who is, but someone who does. So let's put all this together as we wrap up. Jesus... The Prince of Peace is a rescuer. That's who he is. But he also rescues. That's what he does. Jesus is a restorer. That's who he is. That restores. That's what he does. He's a recoverer that says, 
Listen, as long as it takes, as long as it takes for us to recover, I will stay by your side. I will never leave. Jesus is shalom, right? But he's also the one that brings shalom. Jesus is our peace because he is the one who brings peace. And get this tonight, church, right? Jesus didn't come to try to keep the peace. Jesus came to make peace possible. That's what he came to do. Jesus recognizes the urgent need from broken people like us. And he responded then, just like he responds right now in this moment at the point of our greatest need. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the moment that Jesus literally dove into our mess. It's the reminder that he still dives into our mess. He put himself in harm's way. He knew he was obedient, even to the point of being executed on a cross. He knew this is going to kill me. But he also knew sin and death, they can't hold me. He put himself in harm's way. Why? To find us. He seeks and saves the lost. To save us, to restore us, and lead us into a recovered life, no matter what it takes or what it costs, even if it meant giving up his life. He said, I'll do it. The Prince of Peace is the rescuer, the restorer, and the recoverer. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. Matt talked about it just a little bit ago. He says this, and he, Jesus, came. He recognized and he responded. And what did he do? He preached what? Peace to all of us who were far away. He preached peace to those of us who were near. And I love this. I love this because a lot of us, we think, well, you know, I, I do the Christian things, right? I go to church. I show up every now and then, right? Like, I, I go to Bible study. I pray right before I eat, right? I'm different. I'm not far away. I'm trying, right? But here's what I love. Here's what I love about Jesus, that he came and preached peace to people who are really far away, people that we might go, well, at least I'm better than them. He preached this, the same peace to them that he preaches to us because guess what? We both need it the same. He said he preached peace to those who were near and those who were far off, which is rescue. Rescue for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. He says, for through him, through Jesus, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then, hear this, right? You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You're being restored. You're being restored. You're being built into something different. We talk about this, the Holy Spirit, when he moves into our lives, we think we want him to just make it look prettier, but what does he do? He comes in and he jackhammers out our basement. He starts moving walls. Why? He's not trying to make your life look prettier. He's trying to make you into a palace that will contain the king of the universe. That's what Jesus, that's what peace makes possible. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. It's for us to be restored, not into a prettier version of ourselves, but into who God says we can be. And he closes with this. He says, in him, you are also being built together as the church into the dwelling place for God. By the Spirit, he doesn't just restore us. He stays engaged with us in the process of recovery. And guess what? Every single one of us, the second we say yes to Jesus, we enter into a process of recovery that doesn't end until the moment we get to see him face to face. I'm in recovery. You're in recovery. We're all in recovery. But guess what? Jesus 
he's in the business of recovery putting us back together, making us whole, and leading us into a better way to live. So we started tonight by asking this question, right? What's in a name? And the truth is, you may have been looking for or expecting or counting on somebody with a flashy name or a flashy title to come and rescue you. Or maybe you were, you were counting on your own flashy name or flashy title to be the thing that could get you out of a mess. But what if tonight, the name that you called out for the name that you needed was Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. See, I think the thing for us to know, Jesus, he, he recognizes our need for rescue. For some of us in the room, we need to recognize our need for rescue. We might think our own flashy name, our own flashy title can get us out of whatever, but how's that really working out for you? Do you find yourself coming back to the same dark cave over and over again? Recognize tonight, maybe for the first time, I need rescue and understand that Jesus responds to that need. Dives into where you are, rescues, recovers, and restores. Maybe you've been looking for somebody else. Wondering when somebody else is going to come through. And Jesus is right there available for you tonight to say, that's it. That's who I need, the Prince of Peace. I'm going to pray for us. If, if tonight you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, it's a great night to do that. I would love to meet you down front. We can talk about what that looks like. If, if tonight you just need someone to, to pray with you or pray over you, I would love to do that. There's also an opportunity right over here. We've got a, a space right at the foot of the cross where you can just spend some time with Jesus. He's in your midst. He's not far. He doesn't hide from you. He doesn't run from you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. And get this, he also likes you. If you do want to spend some time with him tonight, you can do that. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. This is a time for us as a, as a family. Whether you, you're a part of the adventure family or you're just visiting, this is a time for us just to respond and in one voice cry out thank you to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and provider, and the prince of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We thank you that you are who you are in our lives. No one else can do what you do. No one else responds the way that you respond. No one else recovers and restores the way that you do. No one else makes us whole or makes us complete the way that you do. So, Father, tonight I pray that we stop chasing flashy names and flashy titles or we stop believing in our own flashy names or flashy titles and we recognize our own need for rescue. And instead of reaching for other things, we finally reach out for you and we find it's not a long reach because you're here and you've been there the whole time. You don't leave and you don't fail. We celebrate. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The night that, that God, that heaven and earth collided. And because, Jesus, what you've done for us, the place that heaven and earth collide is, is now within us. Where your spirit and our humanity meet. Heaven and earth collide inside believers. And that is freely available to anybody tonight. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. It's you that we worship. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?